With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, Paul Dennett here. Just letting you know that Cricket Unfiltered is now on Patreon. If you are a fan of our show and would like to support us with a few dollars each month, go to patreon.com slash cricket unfiltered or click the link in the show notes on your podcast app. Menas here. Our Patreon supporters will also get some pretty cool bonus content. Paul will be doing a series of cricket history podcasts. And Menas will be doing long-form interviews with leading cricket personalities. All of these shows, plus other bonus features, will be available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want some great extra content, or if you just love the show and would like to help support us financially, please go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered. Ben Stokes um, will be playing in the Ashes. Just your reaction to that. Were you expecting him to play? Uh, honestly, hadn't given any real thought to it, but um, I, I think it's it's great that he's he's now um, available. Um, obviously, uh, their summer he missed. Uh, I think all the cricket there uh, with with some mental health stuff going on. So, anytime someone comes back from that, it's a great thing. And um, yeah, we love coming up against the the best players, so it's great to see him going to be on the plane. How much more of a dangerous side are they with him in it? I think any team's more dangerous when you've got someone like Ben Stokes playing, so um, it certainly adds a lot to to their depth. Um, but like I said, we're we're excited, and I'm, and I'm and I'm glad personally that he's that he's able to to be be back playing some cricket. So um, it makes for a really good series. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Andrew Mensel. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Hey, good manners. Uh, g'day. Um, it's just wonderful to have the Cricket World Cup on. I, uh, I knew I was going to enjoy it, but I'm enjoying it even more than I expected. It's been a, a real thrill so far watching the tournament. Uh, T20 cricket, when it actually matters and you actually care about it, uh, is some of the best sporting entertainment in the world. I would definitely agree. I'm feeling a bit sleepless over the last few days. And joining us again is Jaleesa Apps. Apsy, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm also happy to have the World Cup finally here because I think, as you just said, Paul, it's just a little bit hard to get into T20 cricket when it's a little bit meaningless, but you really get into it when it's a World Cup. Sure do. And listeners, we are still recording remotely. We were planning to be back in studio for this episode, but um, a few a few things have conspired to mean we're going to be on Zoom for this show. So I'm, I can wear no pants again, which is a, a win for me. Um, do you have pants on, Paul? Of course. As always, as I said, I'm always in a dinner suit when I record. Excellent. Um, but... It's been a bloody war since the last podcast. <laughs> I've got a few things to um, throw at Jaleesa, but I've oh, got go. so much stick for my Steve Smith take. Everybody's been coming at me, Jay Lenton, uh, everybody. Jaleesa, it's just a constant barrage of Twitter messages. All I'm saying is Shane Warne said the same thing. So it can't be that crazy. 
Oh, come on, Menace. It is crazy. And I think the fact that everyone is trying to tell you that it is crazy, I think you're just relishing it. You're just sitting there like a pig in mud. Everyone's so angry and riled up and you're just loving it. They've bought, we've gone in hook, line and sinker. Me and Shane Warner are all on our lonesome, you know, the, the sort of great cricket minds that um, – you know, th- think differently. And it's just been, so, it's just been so, everyone's been so mean. Um, there's one listener who thinks I'm only doing this just to argue with Jaleesa. It's some conspiracy theory that I yeah, always fairly think, true. That's not true. We're yeah, that often- does sound, that sounds probably pretty true, actually. Oh, mm. that is such a BS. <laughs> Jaleesa <laughs> and I are usually on the same page about so many things. Well, don't lock me in with your bloody unhinged craziness. <laughs> I, I'm usually with Paul. You're usually with Paul. I doubt it. And then you, like, took things to a new level on the weekend when you started sharing DMs on Twitter, which just, you know, released the hounds again. I know that was pretty great. I really enjoyed it. You know what I enjoy most? The number of private messages telling me to overthrow you from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like this started, this podcast started well before I was anywhere near it. And now I'm getting calls to overthrow you from it. Yeah. The new, the new cast is Paul Jaleesa and Jay Lenton and, um, the silent editor Menas in the background. <laughs> yeah. Our producer <laughs> Menas. Uh, so that's one thing that's come out. It happened of the last to show. Steve Jobs, didn't it? He he founded Apple, but eventually got kicked out. Man, is it could happen to you? Oh, it happens to all you know successful um, exploits. Absolutely. <laughs> eventually, uh, their dictator must come down. Right now, a couple more things. Firstly, Jaleesa, you went on the radio last Thursday on Joel and Fletch on SEN. You are now none for like a thousand mentioning the cricket podcast you do. Literally, they, they bring you on. Usually it's about thugby league. So, okay, you can't really lead off with I'm on a cricket podcast. They start off by talking about you um, being angry at Warney for not selecting Smith. You don't even mention the podcast. You don't think to say, oh, I was arguing about this on my cricket podcast. You need to get it on air. No, the funny thing was I actually, in my head, I made a mental note to do that and go, oh, I must mention Manners and how mad he is. And then, you know, we just started talking about other things and, like, all of a sudden I'm changing my phone background to Brett Finch instead of Warney and I just got lost. So, which will make no sense to anyone who didn't hear the actual radio spot, <laughs> but it's just really, um, it, you just get a bit carried away on there. I'm sorry, it's a new medium. I'm learning. I don't know. TV's easy. Tell the producer I wanted to be intro- you want to be introduced as journalist for Ten Sport and co-host of the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I actually think it adds to your kudos as a as a, a cricket pundit if you're doing a cricket podcast. So it's nothing to be ashamed of. Well, I'm not ashamed of it all. I was in the paper as a um, prominent cricket podcast. They didn't mention which podcast, but <laughs> they uh, they mentioned that. So exactly. no, I'm I'm out and proud. Good. I'm out and I'm proud to. The The last thing is on the, the, the last show, we, we gave a bit of a serve to the WBBL coverage for not um, drawing light on some fielding errors. And one of the commentators, Lisa Stalaker, has replied to us on Twitter and basically said we must have missed her criticising the fielding. And, and I just want to I say, as a, a Fox Sports subscriber, when you're watching on the weekend, you get a weird hybrid of the coverage. So you get the Channel 7 commentators, but then they cross to the Fox studio. So maybe we missed 
Lisa going in on the bad fielding. So I just want to put that correction out there that what we saw didn't draw attention to the fielding, but maybe it did happen on Channel 7, but not what we saw. No. So I I think I mentioned in the podcast that I was watching the Fox coverage because I was at work. So Fox is sort of there on the TV next to us all the time. And so I was watching the Fox coverage and I didn't hear Lisa. And what I was sort of pointing out more was that um, what annoyed me is they didn't turn around a replay really quickly so that the commentators could talk to it. Um, so they, you know, that was sort of more of a production thing. And, and I understood, I sort of understand why they were a bit, you know, dubious about how to handle it. Like they were like, Oh, do we, you know, make, do we make it this really obvious that this was really bad or should we just let it go? I, I sort of get it. And it's really hard on a live broadcast to make that decision really quickly, but uh, I didn't hear um, what Lisa said, but um, I do really like Lisa Stalaker as a commentator. So I have no doubt that her commentary was, was great on it. I agree. So that's the correction to the record. Um, all righty, let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. Right again, Manners. I said it on the last show. Ben, ben Stokes is coming, confirmed. The machine that is Ben Stokes will be coming to the ashes. And I think that probably pushes England much closer to Australia in all areas. Paul, you must have been thrilled when you heard the news as a cricket lover. Definitely, yeah, for sure. Uh, it really adds that um, that real mainstream excitement, especially in England. That uh, I think I said it last show that he's the one cricketer that cuts through even more than Joe Root and Jimmy Anderson. He, he resonates with the average sporting fan in England in a way that usually only footballers and rugby players do. So to have him um, on board is going to just mean that much more coverage from the um, in England. And, of course, he's a, he's a wonderful player, so it does mean that England have a, a much better chance. I mean, he, he's a wonderful player, but he's not, um, you know, he's not Keith Miller or Imran Khan. Or, you know, he's, he, he's very good. He's not – I don't think he's at the level of a great, and I think maybe, um, you know, his performance at Headingley was great and he's done other great things, um, but his overall record is indicative of a very good player, not a great one. I just like him because he's a fighter and I think mm. England will need fighters down here. And um, some interesting reports that came out of the UK overnight that Stokes was probably ready to make this call a couple of weeks ago, but the ECB just wanted to give him a bit more time to stabilise before they uh, announced that he was coming on the ashes. So clearly this has sort of been in the works for a while. It was pretty obvious if you'd been sort of following the media stories. And I think it gives England a much better chance. It's been, the point has been made that he just brings balance to the team. That extra bowling option means when England is selecting teams, they can either go for a spinner or go for the extra quick. And it'll, it'll just make a big difference to the way they approach the series. It, um, you, you're not wrong, man, as I think this was sort of a, um, something that everyone was kind of anticipating, um, happening because he'd been putting those sort of teasers out on, on, um, social media as well of him batting. And you sort of, I don't imagine you do that if you don't know that, mm. uh, you know, everyone's going to be talking about it and you've already made your mind up that you're coming. And I was out at Nathan Lyon last week, um, out at his press conference and he, he had absolutely no doubt in his mind that Stokes was coming. He was not even slightly like, Oh, I hope to see him there. He said, he'll be there. I'm glad he'll be there. It was uh, really um, affirmative from here. But the ECB, uh, you're right, probably took a bit of a conservative approach because a few weeks ago Chris Silverwood was um, speaking on a 
press conference, the coach, and and he said, well, no, I'm not going to pressure him. I'm not going to be drawn into it. He just would not comment at all um, and just said, when he's ready, he's ready. And everyone was like, oh, you know, but is there a spot for him if he's ready? And he said, I'm not going to comment. He just would not put any kind of pressure on him, which probably makes it a little easier to come back into the side when you know that you're doing everything on your own terms. Yeah, especially when mental health is a, an issue, you can't put any pressure. I um, I think this makes, I think this pushes the two teams closer together. And I'm saying two all, two all. That's my call, early call on Ash's result. Same as 2019. Hmm. I'll have to come back to that. I definitely think that um, England are being wildly underestimated. Um, and I was surprised at the reaction to Stokes. I knew that everyone would be pleased to see him, both Australian and, and um, English fans, to see him play the Ashes. But I was surprised about everyone really saying, okay, now England can, you know, push Australia. I actually thought England can push us before then. And I know that they're out of a bit of form. But the thing that I find crazy is everyone's like, oh, you know, England, they're, they're out of form, they're out of touch, blah, blah, blah. Well, what form are we in? We don't know. No one's played any red ball cricket. In two years, we've played four red ball games. We have no clue what kind of form our red ball players are in, except to look at them in T20, which hasn't been great. That's so right. I, I find it quite interesting that everyone has written England off so quickly. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be making that mistake. The last test match Australia played, we had half an attack with Cummins and Hazelwood and Lyon and Stark were ineffective. So, well, that's yeah, right. So definitely worth watching. But let's let's move on now to the World Cup because, boy, did Australia get off to an unconvincing start. What was that? You're such a negative. You're so negative about it. It was a great win. No, it win. was really bad. It was I'm a with you on this great Venice. win. It was a really Terrible good win. win. Because it, it would have been, had we lost, it would have been an absolute bloody disaster. So the fact that they won, albeit um, wobbling at the end, uh, I don't know. It's just like um, I, I, any time in your life when you're, oh, gosh, you suddenly realise how something, how bad something could be, and then it's not. Um, I, I just think you have to feel energised and um, ebullient about it. Wow. I love your positivity, Paul, because it, it is infectious, but... Uh, I see what you're saying that it's, it's, is it one of those games where if you just squeak through, it can make all the difference in sort of, you know, building momentum or confidence within the camp. But anyway, South Africa batted first. They were restricted to nine for 118. Mitchell Stark, two for 32 in four overs. Glenn Maxwell opening the bowling, one for 20 war, picked up Bavuma in his first over. Josh Hazelwood. It continues his stunning form. Two for 19 off four overs. Pat Cummins, one for 17 off four overs. Adam Zampa, two for 21. Let's start with the team. I like the Aussie team. I think we need seven batters. I like the three quicks. And if you're going to pick a spinner, Zampa's probably the one uh, to start with in the tournament. So I think that balance gives us a, a good shot. I think when we were in the West Indies and Bangladesh, six batters and five bowlers, it's just not enough. It's interesting as to what we're going to do with the games going forward. There's sort of a, a viewpoint that this was a pretty good side for that first game while the pitches are still hard against South Africa. What are we going to do um, as the tournament progresses against some of these other sides? There's a feeling that we do need more spinners in there and that this, you know, it is a very Australian thing to have gone in with our test attack. <laughs> 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 like we've just gone, bugger this, 
none of this T20 specialization, <laughs> everything else. We're going in without test bowling. I mean, they should have brought Nathan Lyon over there as well. But um, oh, they you know, actually think they should have. <laughs> probably right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that you know Robert Craddock's banging on about they need to get uh, Mitchell Swepson into the side, and I think he's probably right. I- I'd like to see him play a part soon. Uh, uh, Robert Craddock, who had. Who? Which of your co-hosts had Swepson in his side last week? It's not all about you, Metas. Every topic doesn't have to be what your your take on it was. No, I'm, just, I'm already said it. I've already said it. Um, so chasing 119 to win, Australia got there in the last over. I guess David Warner made 14 off 15 deliveries, so that's probably a, a success going by his current form. Aaron Finch out for a duck. Mitch Marsh out for 11. Steve Smith, 35 off 34 deliveries. Glenn Maxwell, 18 off 21. But when Smith and Maxwell got out, there was still a, a massive uphill battle to win the game. And Marcus Stoinis and Matthew Wade um, did the job, fit both with a strike rate of 150. Matthew Wade, 15 not out of 10. And Stoinis, 24 not out, not out of 16. Look, it's hard for me to continue criticising Smith when Warner, Finch and Marsh haven't scored many runs, but they just... Yeah, what was he supposed to do in that situation? How was he supposed to come in and play that menace? Was he supposed well, to go, oh, cool, well, so we're sitting here on, you know, they're all out for 25. I'll just start flogging around. Yeah, uh, look, I see your point, Jaleesa, but I, I still think 35 of 34 is going a bit slow, and we're lucky we win won the game. But Glenn Maxwell, 18 off 21, didn't do much better. I just think tactically we actually got this whole chase wrong. I think we were a little bit conservative and we should have got there with five overs to spare, not in the last over. Your message to me was Smith, and I'm going to say another word because I don't want us to end up in a different category on (laughs) Apple Podcasts. Smith ducked this for us. Yes, because what if you are face, you if you face about? 34 balls, a strike rate of 102 is just not good enough. I mean, you add five or 10 runs to that. But, but who else, but who else do you want? Because that strike rate is better than 93 Warner, who got 14, Finch, none, uh, Mitch Marsh, 64 strike rate, Glenn Maxwell, 85 strike rate. What, what do you, what, what do you, him, he was the one that ducked it for us. Exactly. He was the top scorer with the third best strike rate. Um, he, he won us the game. I mean, he wasn't the only one who won us the game, but it was a, a an innings that was a major contributor to us winning the match. It was the right innings for the time. And he's a little bit unlucky when he got out. It was, um, a, a freakish catch that got him out. Uh, I, I think he played perfectly, and I think that if, if if you'd had your way and someone else in the side other than him, we probably would have lost that game. Would have, yeah, for sure. Well, I'm not going to keep arguing because the, the, the three above him aren't So you're saying runs. drop Smith. No, no, for... I'm not trying drop Smith now. All I'm saying oh, is okay, we're not keeps, dropping Smith if he now. keeps batting at a strike rate of 102, we're not going to win anything. No, but when you're chasing such a small total, that was the right way to play. But anyway, mm-hmm. I should say how delighted I was with Stoinis and Wade. Mm-hmm. I have had Same. no faith in them. I have been banging on and on and on and on about them. And when they came yeah. out together, I thought, oh, God, here we go. We're going to lose this. So it was just really, really satisfying to see them both play so well. Uh, you know, it's only only two small innings, but they both looked good 
and they got the job done at, at very impressive strike rates. Yeah, I think that was the most delightful thing to come out of the game, the, the, the performance of those two. I was, I was wrapped for them. I was delighted. Yeah, I thought Stoinis's timing of when he really decided, all right, I've got to really kick this up now was just perfect. I think Wade was a good partner for him, but I, I feel like Stoinis really saved that. So, look, a squeaky win for the Aussies, but they get the points, and it would have been a, a, an unmitigated disaster if they'd failed to chase that down. So glad they did. Paul, you've made a very good point about Australia's group. So with the round one completed, it means Australia now have Bangladesh and Sri Lanka joining the West Indies, England, and South Africa in the group. Um, have I missed one there, Paul? No, I think that's it. That's six. Um, so... It's going to be tough for Australia from here. We're going to be playing you know, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, who both play pretty well in these conditions. And then we've got England and the West Indies. It's a very tough run in for the Aussies. It certainly is. The only positive is that it might mean that um, everyone's sort of been saying, oh, this is the, the format is such that you can possibly afford to lose one match and that's it. If there's such a high standard of teams throughout the, the group, they might snipe away at each other and actually... Australia might be able to afford to um, not win quite as many games as we thought we needed to in order to to progress. Um, you know, in theory, we could lose to England and the West Indies and still go through if we if we win the other games, which would be, um, you know, maybe wouldn't have been possible if Namibia and Scotland had been in our group. Yeah, we certainly got the worst of the draw. Uh, do you think Finch is going to survive this tournament? If I had to guess, I'd say yes, just because they'll be very reluctant to drop him. And, I mean, he's a good player. There's, there's, And probably also all he needs to ensure his spot in the side is one decent innings or as long as Australia is still winning. Um, but if he, if he continues to fail and if Australia, um, you know, is suddenly faced with a kind of a must-win game, then maybe they would take that. Then they maybe would act. So it's certainly possible that he won't. But I think that overwhelmingly it's more likely that he will. I wouldn't put past it past Finch to drop himself. I agree. He's just Agreed. feeling like he's not going to find form. And, and he's been out of form for a very long time. Like it, it's not just been recent T20s. I mean, he was terrible in the Big Bash last year. It's, um, you know, unfortunately sort of been on a real downward slide for him. So I wouldn't be surprised if he actually made the call himself um, maybe this game, maybe the next game if he doesn't um, fire. So, That's yeah. a huge but, call. Yeah, it is, but it's very selfless and it's a, you know, drop before you dropped, I would. And they'd probably then look at bringing Matthew Wade up the order and bring bring Inglis in in the middle, uh, which yes. I think would be a good solution. Oh, you, well, you want to open with Smith, don't you? You want him either the drop to open. Yeah, he could open instead of Finch, absolutely, and bring in um, English to the middle order. I'd love English to be in there as well. And I think um, uh, I think they probably will all get a go at some point during the tournament. I think Agar, uh, although he's a little bit um, unfashionable maybe, I think he's a pretty good um, T20 cricketer. I, I think he'll he'll do well as well. He's Australia's highest rank T20 bowler, and we didn't pick him in the first game. Mm. So good selection because they got the win. Some other highlights so far from the tournament, I guess starting with Saturday night's second game, was it England versus the West Indies? The West Indies bowled out for around 50. It was an incredibly was bad performance. And it, it just sort of shows their attitude that they just kept swinging. No matter how many wickets were yeah. falling, 
Like Russell and Pollard are in there and they like were five for 20. And I thought they could be all out for 40 or they could make 250. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing. That's the thing on these surfaces. When the spinners start to get the ball to bite, if you're coming out new, um, you know, wickets can fall in clumps very, very quickly. The, the same thing happened to Scotland the other night, last night uh, against Afghanistan, that the, the spinners just came on and they're just unplayable for a few balls. And then that was it. The game was done. How good is Mohammed Shazad from, from Afghanistan? They are a team to watch. They are loaded with spinners. They're big hitters. I think they could surprise a few people in this tournament. Uh, terrific, terrific effort against Scotland. What They made almost 200 and then bowled them out for 60, one of the biggest victories in this format of the game. So I think they're someone to keep an eye on. A lot of composure as well they showed that that they could have actually scored more, I think, that they, um, they in those sort of 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 overs, they went along at a decent but not um, not too much of an extravagant clip. And I, I think that was kind of them knowing that 180, 190 was going to be enough and there was no need to try to, you know, risk trying to get 220 and end up getting um, into a bit of a hole. But the other thing that was notable was the power of their sixes. They hit... Um, Five sixes that were virtually 100 metres. And I've never seen anything like that before. That was, um, the, the, the fifth biggest six was 97 metres. Any other time, that would be the biggest six um, in a game. But it was only the fifth biggest. They were really giving the ball some, uh, some tap. Yeah, Hazratullah Zazai, 44 off 30. Rah- Ramanullah Gurbaz, 46 off 37. Zadran- he was the one that started very slowly and he kind of started to accelerate right at the end. I think it's Zadran who ended up 59 off 34 deliveries. Um, so, yeah, just a, they are a team to watch, and they're spinners. So you've got Muhammad Nabi opened the bowling. Then you've got Mujibul Rahman, 5 for 20. Rashid Khan, 4 for 9. Uh, it's just a very formidable lineup. And I think if, if Afghanistan played Australia, I'd be backing Afghanistan probably five out of six times. I wouldn't go five out of six, but I would certainly say that if they were playing Australia, I think it would be a 50-50 call as to who would win, which is a remarkable achievement for Afghanistan, given that a generation ago, cricket wasn't even that a popular sport in their country. Right, and the next bit of news from the World Cup was the absolute spanking that Pakistan handed India, a 10-wicket victory, Pakistan's first ever victory over India in an ICC World Cup event. I was at the first match they ever played, which was in the 92 World Cup at the SCG, and it was a strange, strange match. Salim Malik batted very peculiarly, peculiarly, and you can read into that what you want, but India got the win then, and Pakistan have never been able to beat them. Does this sort of change your view of Pakistan for the rest of the tournament? I always thought they were going to be competitive given the warm-up matches that they'd played and and how they played against India and that I I, I think they're definitely going to be a competitive side yeah I mean there are people saying that they now should really be considered favorites and I I can see why they're saying that uh, I, I love this game I love it whenever India play Pakistan the fact that it just puts cricket onto the, the truly global stage which doesn't happen very often but it really did reverberate around the world, um, this result. And, um, you know, I was, I was pleased for Pakistan, the the tough times they've endured without having any cricket in their home country for, for all these years. Um, it was nice to see them um, to get a win. And 
Uh, as people were saying, it was an emphatic win and a win that was kind of dif- different to how Pakistan often play. That, that it wasn't mercurial or um, sort of laced with genius. It was just um, hard-nosed, professional, highly skilled cricket the whole way through. Yeah, terrific effort for them. And uh, I, I did enjoy the, the Indian um, press coverage of it, talking about Virat Kohli the lone ranger who gave them a hope. But it was a real thrashing. It was it must have been a party time in Pakistan. Um, who were the openers for Pakistan? Rizwan, Babrazam. Yeah, that's a great combination. And then you got Fakazaman and Muhammad Hafiz. So I just wanted to say Fakazaman's name. Anyway, I got it out. Um, any other takeaways from the World Cup? Well, there was one actually. Just, just this is a bit off the field, but there was a clip on um i think you can find anywhere on really the internet of um or or twitter if you just type in coley and the post-match presser where um a journalist asked about maybe dropping sharma (laughs) yeah (laughs) he was not happy at that question at all he was like well would you like he was really giving it to whoever asked the question i just felt every every bit of my journalism like bit of my in my bones just like crawl up because it was just so cringeworthy (laughs) but that's probably what the journalist wanted i mean unless the journalist was someone who doesn't have anything normally to do with cricket yeah that's the thing it was like (laughs) it certainly got it noticed um so that's maybe that's what it is these days i like sometimes like um rugby league coaches like to do that and i just go yeah yeah i would (laughs) (laughs) have have you two caught Have you two caught the Justin Langer PR tour that's been going on for the last week? He's been Um, interviewed on several platforms and he said he's humbled with all the feedback and how great everything is and how great the group's getting on. Do you buy it, Jaleesa? Nah. (laughs) Nah. Nah. If you're coming out and you're doing a, we are so happy and suddenly, suddenly we're really happy together and, oh, this has been the best turnaround. It just feels like, oh, feels like this cracks here. <laughs> feel like if there, if there was a, you know, it, it just, it, feel, it feels all a bit rosy, doesn't it? Someone messaged me after the Pakistan win and said, um, Matthew Markovitz messaged me and he said, Haydos is already a better coach than JL. <laughs> well, that's what I was saying. That's Haydos' first game as batting coach and his side wins by 10 wickets. Like he should retire now. You, you can't get better than that. Absolutely. I heard Simon Helmot, the Renegades coach, on um, the radio yesterday, and he didn't have a jab at Hayden, but they said, what do you think of Hayden? And he said, oh, he's never coached anybody ever, and he's now with Pakistan, kind of like, well, he just kind of walked into this job because Ramiz liked him. But uh, I don't think that matters. If you've played international cricket for 20 years, I think he's still going to have some insights. Yeah, of course. Got to start somewhere. For once, I agree with that. Like normally, I, I object to ex-players just sort of cruising into jobs. But I think being a specialist mentor for batting is a much closer fit to what he did as a, a skill set than it is, say, for him being a commentator. Uh, I think he's a, a you know questionable value as a commentator. But I think I could imagine him in the nets with someone because he, he used to work on the ball machine all the time, and I think he was very technically minded. I could see him with, with some of the Pakistani batting bat, batters giving them real insights as to how to improve their batting. So, I, you know, um, I, I'm fine with his appointment. How have you two found the commentary so far on the World Cup coverage? Um, I think Paul's got a bit more to say about that than I do. I found it fine. I, 
I quite uh, I quite like. I mean, I have to admit, a lot of the times I watch cricket in general without commentary, um, just because I'll be doing other things. So I just sort of or listening to something else, or listening to a podcast, or listening to whatever, and I'm just watching the game. Um, but I found it fine, and I think Paul doesn't really like Watson. Is that correct? Oh, I don't mind him. I was a bit because um... I, I actually have found found him fine. Uh, the other thing I object to with Watson, and I, is just that some of these players who've just who've done nothing but play cricket their whole lives have clearly not watched a lot of cricket on TV, and I, I think that they think that they've got fresh insights that no one has thought of before. That had they actually watched more cricket on TV, they realise that what they're saying they're just um, saying the same things that have been said over and over again, yet saying them in such a way as that just that it's they think that they're new. Mike Hussey's the same. Like he'll say, no, he won't just say you know, Fred Smith wants to score 100 today. He'll say with, oh, I think Fred Smith wants to score 100 today. As if, oh, God, that's a good idea, Huss. Um, we never would have thought of that one, mate. Um, so there's a little bit of that in Watson. But on the whole, yeah, he's he's all right. My objection, I was going to have it with... That's calmed down a lot from your group text. Well, that was just after I was, I was a bit tired. Of Watch emotional. it. She'll share it online, Paul. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I was tired I, and emotional after my horse failed to win the Cox Plate. Um, I wouldn't share that online, Paul. I just do it to Menace because I know he's such an attention seeker that he'd love it. <laughs> you know that that's true. Book BS. Go on. I'm not the one on TV every night. <laughs> All righty. Let's head local now. The WBBL is continuing and we're, we're recording this sort of in the middle of some games. So it's going to be hard for us to sort of do a, a granular analysis. But all the, the teams are pretty close together. Sydney Thunder have played three games and are yet to, to, they've only yet to win one. But as we're recording, they're playing. So maybe they'd have pulled off a miraculous victory against the Stars. But so far, very tight competition. Unfortunately, on Saturday, we had four washouts on Tasmania in Tasmania. It was supposed to be four games, um, on the same day, and they were all washed out. The first one got started. But in the last week, we've had a Rachel Priest 100 for the Hurricanes. She smashed 107 off 68 balls against the Stars. Sophie Devine, another Kiwi, 101 off 60 balls with six sixes against the Thunder. Thunder, that's her third WBBL century. And Darcy Brown took a hat-trick against the Heat. was in a losing effort, but still... It's quite a day of WBBL action. But the, the issue that's kind of struck me and Paul, he sent me a message about this, that I was watching Elise Perry bat against the Renegades for the Sixers and the Sixers laboured to four for 118. Perry 50 not out of 51 deliveries and her team lost because they were short. And I'm just a bit concerned that Perry, who's one of Australia's greatest ever players, doesn't seem to comprehend she needs to up a strike rate. It's funny because I'd been just doing all of the um, the strike rates and the averages across all the, the different franchises, and it is notable what a um, contrast there is in the in the sixes that Elisa Healy, a strike rate of 140, uh, that is just supreme compared to anyone else in the WBBL, uh, oh. averaging averaging 30 as well, if you don't mind. Now, Shafali Verma, because she's only played um, you know virtually no games yet in the WBBL, her overall strike rate is 144 across all T20s, but it's not necessarily comparing apples with apples that. So we'll have to see how she uh, finishes up at the end of this season. Ash Gardner for the Sydney Sixers is quite quick as well, 121. Belize Perry's career strike rate is 104, 
but with an average of 52. So that's pretty much spot on with that innings that she played the other day. Uh, there's a bit of Steve Smith to that, that sometimes that's what you need. If you're chasing a, a, a middling total and uh, players are falling around you, you need someone with a class to sort of that test match class. But there are other times when I think you need to put the foot down and, and maybe um, this was an example of that. Yeah, I just feel with Perry that this is an ongoing problem. So the Sydney Sixers have not made the finals for the last two WBBL seasons. They were a great lineup. And I feel that when you see your captain out there nudging singles and meandering along at a strike rate of around 100, it sets a very bad example for your team. And I don't think it encourages kind of fearless T20 cricket. And the Sixers, I don't think they'll make the finals for a third year in a row. They look to me well short of the other side. You take, once Healy and Verma are out, you know, you really got Gardner and that's about it. it. It just seems to me very thin. And I think Perry's leadership has to be questioned. Alrighty. Next bit of cricket news. Australia has lost one of its very talented fast bowlers with James Pattinson retiring ahead of the Ashes. I really thought Paddo would go around one more year and try and play a test or two against the Poms, but Pattinson's pulled up stumps. And I guess, Jaleesa, were you surprised? Oh, I think everyone was surprised, um, you know, that that he'd call it right now. It's just, um, it's it's... Just sort of when you're heading into an Ashes series and you would have thought, you know, he would want to be one of those fairly in the mix. So I just couldn't quite understand it. But the funny thing was the only person that seemed not surprised was Victoria coach Chris Rogers. He just seemed to realise that the writing was on the wall a little while ago. He said that he'd been like a caged lion in lockdown, having to train inside and um, you know, getting through winter, he just he just didn't seem himself, and so he didn't. He sort of saw it coming for a while, and didn't seem to have been able to talk him out of it, or even didn't seem to try to talk him out of it. It just seemed like inevitable. But every, all of his um, Australia teammates, like talking to Nathan Lyon, like he certainly was very surprised. So perhaps it was just something that. Victoria knew, but the, certainly no one, no one in in the media circle, no one in the in the other teams, the the other states, no one seemed to have an, any inkling that this was going to happen. Yeah, it's a difficult situation where you're not in the first eleven for Australia, but with COVID, meaning you sort of have to stay in this bubble. Mm. You know, last summer, Pado didn't get to play much because he was with the Test side, whereas. You know, pre-COVID and post-COVID, you'll be able to, you know, if you're not picked, you'll be able to fly back and play for Victoria and still get some cricket. So I think there was some frustration from Pattinson that he was fit again, but he just wasn't bowling. I think he sort of figured, well, I'd rather be playing for Victoria than be 12th man for Australia all the time. Yes. So I sort of get that. And I also think that he he could make some really good money playing in the T20 tournaments around the world. He bowled well for, I think, Mumbai Indians in the IPL last year. So I think he'll be a, a Luke, he'll be able to really get some good contracts and um, set himself up for retirement. And he deserves it. He's been a fantastic servant, blighted by injury, but when in form, one of the most electric fast bowlers in Australian cricket. Absolutely. And if he does get his body right and does have a, you know, three or four years assault on the T20 leagues, just bowling four overs at flat out and he can hit the ball as well. You're right. He could do, he could do really well. And I hope he does. The stat that's been circulating, it's not something that I came up with, but if you haven't heard it, it's worth mentioning that he took um, 81 
test wickets uh, at a very good average of 26.3, but his strike rate of 48.9. For for bowlers who've taken as many wickets as him or more, that places him third best in Australian history behind um, Pat Cummins. And in first position is the demon, Fred Spofforth, who put Australian cricket right on the map way back in the 1880s. And there's a statue of him at the SCG. So uh, an obscure little stat, but a, a a nice little trio there. Ironically, Paddo is one of those fast bowlers who off the field is lovely, gentle, sweet. Whenever New South Wales has played Victoria, he's, he's great to chat to. Get him on the field. He's a madman. He's, he's one of those fast bowlers. You get the red rock in the hand and they lose their mind. Um, mm. But he'll be in action. I think it will. No, maybe not he'll be in action this week. I'm not sure. But New South Wales are taking on Victoria in the Sheffield Shield. So finally, the two most important states in Australia get to start their domestic summers. And it represents a huge opportunity for Will Pukowski, who's going to play in the second game, Marcus Harris, Curtis Patterson, uh, Nathan Lyon to sort of tune up for the Ashes. So that starts this week. Curtis Patterson actually said today um, that he has still got that desire there to play test cricket and he feels like last season he, you know, before that he was coming off a bit of injury and then last summer he just didn't quite fire and he said he felt like he actually got caught up thinking about wanting to play for Australia and now he's got much more of a casual approach. He's uh, married now, he's having a baby, so... Um, he might be somebody that that ends up sort of pushing for a test selection. Yeah, I mean, he's not being talked about yet, but one century would would change that. And if he happened, Wait, to have a... funny you said that, Paul, because that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> they used to always say that any state cricketer was only three double centuries away from being in the Australian side, and um, <laughs> so you could parlay that all the way down to someone in fifth grade was only what is it? Um, 15 double centuries away from being <laughs> <laughs> Not last season, but the season before, Patterson came into the, the summer in real test content, contention and then he, he did his Achilles and he, then he aggravated at Dremoyne Oval and that sort of put him back. And he's never really gained any momentum with the mm. bat since then. But he is a superb player and I'm sure he'll do well. Oh, well, another snub for the three of us. We weren't given um, positions as Australian selectors and our bid for an IPL franchise has been um, knocked back. They've gone for You're the, kidding. They've gone for the luck now and Ahmedabad franchises that sold for a combined $2.3 billion Aussie dollars at auction. Incredible. You mean there's not going to be a Borough franchise? Nope. Yeah, our, our bid for 20 bucks just, just got knocked for back. God's sake. <laughs> what did you contribute, Paul? Like, come on, we need, a, we need all up it. <laughs> um, huge sums of money i heard our colleague barrett sunder racing on the radio before and and he was saying that that value is you way more than say what newcastle football club went for or it's about five times what chennai paid for their uh franchise when they bought it so it just shows the value of the ipl yeah well that- paul's got to get on a few more multis clearly <laughs> quite a few <laughs> You're not even trying, Paul. Come on. <laughs> um, the thing that I liked was that the Glazer family who own Manchester United went over there to bid, and that shows how, you know, they're an American family who knows nothing about cricket, and that shows how big time it is. And apparently their bid, it's a sealed process, so theirs was nowhere near big enough. And so, you know, really? that shows the kind of realm that we're talking about. 
So it may have some implications for world cricket at the moment. There are eight teams in the IPL. Uh, each team plays each other twice. That's a total of 56 games. Now that they're going to 10 teams, they could actually go up to 90 games if they were going to keep it as um, in that format. They're not. They're starting it with 74. But Harsha Bogle sent out a tweet um, saying, I, I must admit I'm blown away by the size of the bids. The cricket economy just gets more buoyant, and I don't see how it can stop at 74 games a year. This is a huge vote of confidence in the Indian consumer's willingness to watch the IPL. So if it does balloon out to 90 games, then that's going to make the tournament even longer. And you know, as the years go by, the IPL may start to carve out more than just the two months that it does now it could be three months could be four months who knows where it will end so it's a this seismic change to world cricket just keeps on keeps on growing certainly does and more opportunities for cricketers to earn some good money over there all right we're going to take our first and final break of the show just a heads up that during this world cup myself and maybe Jaleesa and paul will be joining me on live reaction broadcast so i broadcasted at 1 a.m sunday morning on Twitter and YouTube, my fresh reaction to Australia's unconvincing defeat. So they're going to be we won. fun. We won. We won. Oh, we won. One. Sorry, one. One. <laughs> okay, too um, bad. And that, that's how depressed I am about it. Um, <laughs> got my facts straight on the broadcast. So follow our YouTube page and head to Twitter. They could be loose, especially if they're like five in the morning after an all-nighter. All right, we'll be back with Can't Let It Go. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered. It's can't let it go time. And we've already let go of Jaleesa Apps, who's had to go because she's got a work commitment. So it's Paul and I bringing the ship home, the, the original duo. Paul, what's your can't let it go? Uh, I've got a couple, um, or three actually. One, the scene of Virat Kohli shaking hands warmly with uh, Mohammed Rizwan and Barbarazam after they were victorious. Uh, was a lovely uh, scene. If you haven't seen it, it's really nice. And when you when you look at the the, the context behind this, that Kohli must have known that he was going to be forever known in India as the captain that lost to Pakistan for the first time ever in a World Cup. He's just been absolutely thrashed and shakes hands with them, uh, sort of pats on the back, borderline hug with a warm smile. Uh, I think that you know, it's one of the nicest things to come out of that game. There's some other things not so nice off the field that sort of occurred on social media and whatever else, but that was um, really heartening to see. Um, and just a couple of things about, we mentioned earlier about the commentary in the World Cup. I always hark back to what happened with Michael Holding in the 2019 World Cup, where he criticised the umpiring, got an email from the boss having a go at him and said, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. And he then publicised it saying, well, um, I'm going to stand up for what I believe in. I hope that the commentators that are over there now haven't been similarly instructed because there were just a couple of instances instances in the Australian game that I thought were a bit curious. One in particular, men, as you might remember this, I think it was the first shot that Steve Smith um, scored off. He hit it and it looked like it had gone for four. The fielder sort of signalled four. Pommy and Bangor in commentary said, yep, that looks like it's going to be four. If we, if, as we freeze it there, we can see that the ball's touching his knee at the same time as it's touching the rope. And then the umpire signaled three, or failed to signal four. Smith looked surprised. And the commentators never referred to it again. Alan Wilkins came came in and and never said another thing about it. Now, it may have just been because there was the changeover and they sort of got lost. But normally that would have a, that was an interesting point. And it should have been, okay, let's see exactly why the umpire decided to only give this as, um, as three and not four. And there was another one where David Warner copped a waist high full toss 
And he kind of jokingly, or maybe not jokingly, but signaled to the square leg umpire as if to sort of say, can I have some DRS on that? Because I thought it was a waist high full of toss. And unless I missed it, I don't think they scrutinized that either. And neither was it, neither incident was controversial at all. Um, I'm sure the umpires got it right on both instances. I just hope that these, this commentary is not so saccharine, sweet and sanitized that they've been instructed under no circumstances say anything that is going to be um, critical towards the umpiring because that makes it um, uh, a bit distasteful, I think. Oh, without doubt, they've been instructed to, I think, go easy on the umpires. There's no doubt. There'd certainly be restrictions on what they can say for these broadcasts and uh, not just umpiring probably, but yeah. That's a disgrace then. That's absolutely disgraceful. Like, what the hell is the ICC doing? We're not saying some sort of um, uh, police state. Like, it's, it's a sporting event. Uh, how dare you censor it in that way? That's just repugnant. If, if that's true, and I, I think you're probably right, it makes me not want to watch the whole thing or at least watch it with the sound down. Like, how dare you turn up and insult us viewers by um, not showing us the real thing because you think we're too... Um, too whatever, too stupid to handle a bit of criticism the umpires or that we're going to tear them down. That's ridiculous. It's offensive. I agree it is offensive. And I think decisions should be scrutinised. I do think there is a balance, though, that I think commentators as well as players, at some point you've got to accept an umpire's decision, whether it's good or bad. But you certainly scrutinise it. You don't ignore it. I've watched broadcasts in the past where they just bang on about the umpiring and it does get a bit whiny, but you you've got to mention it. You've got to call what's in front of you. Uh, in saying that though, if you want Paul and I to commentate on an ICC event, we'll say whatever you want. Absolutely, Literally say whatever sure. you want. Anything. If we're paid. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do whatever you want. Oh, great decision. Yeah. Yeah. Umpires are fantastic. Um, yeah. No, but I, I, you know, the, these incidents, incidents weren't controversial. It would have just been interesting. That's the thing. Uh, I I think, yeah, I sort of think about when you were talking about Watson before, I do think where you're coming from though, Paul, is is maybe a bit, you know, cricket intimately, whereas I don't know if many viewers do. So I think you're seeing the holes that a lot of people wouldn't see. Oh, no, I don't agree with that. I I think that um, I I would imagine an American who's watching it for the first time, um, some of the, some of the ex-players, not to pick, to pick Shane Watson, they say things that are so banal and so obvious, yet with such um, sort of eyes bright and wide in their tone. It's just clear they haven't watched enough of it to have a feel for it. And I think that it would be self-evident to most viewers. Mm. All right. What's your final can't let it go? Oh, just the one. <laughs> now that I'm on a bit of a rant, uh, I just can't understand why. Because I noticed this in the warm-up games, that at one end at Sharjah, the umpire's head is in the way of where the ball will land on a good length, especially to a, a spinner. And I thought, surely they'll have that fixed for the main tournament, but they haven't. It's like, this is a multi-billion dollar event, I think. Surely they could have just invested in a little bit of the scaffolding. Yeah, I agree. It reminds me of the Sheffield Shield last year that had a similar thing where you couldn't even see the batter um, because of the umpire. Yeah, that, that's crazy. I'm surprised that's allowed to go on. Yeah, All right. My can't let it go. Well, I'm thrilled that this is happening. So a statue has been commissioned for Alan Border. 
that's yes. going to be um, housed at the Gabba and it's going to be unveiled later this year. And it started because Ian Botham was interviewed on the Howie Games podcast and said there should be a statue at every ground in Australia. And a business and a businessman was listening and, and realized they were right. And they've managed to get private funding together to make this beautiful statue of Alan Border. And I think they're doing a redevelopment at the Gabba. So it's going to be unveiled, but then it will be brought back to the Gabba after the redevelopment. I just think this is such a great initiative. I'm very surprised though, that no one thought of this before, Paul, like if anyone deserves a statue, it's Alan Border. Absolutely. And like, you know, they've got one out uh, King Wally Lewis uh, outside Suncorp Stadium or Lang Park, as they should, they should have one of Alan Border out. Like you could argue they should have one of Alan Border outside several stadiums in Australia. Um, it's just something that's nice and that it gives the ground some extra gravitas and some extra feeling of being special. I love the ones that, you know, the MCG, you've got Dennis Lilly, you've got Don Bradman. It's, it's, it's superb. There are plenty in the uh, vicinity of the SCG as well. Uh, it, it's weird that the, the Gabba doesn't have one. And also, as Robert Craddock pointed out, it's, it's sort of strange that their stands aren't named. I know it's kind of just one big bowl now, but why not? Um, go around and, and, and name some of those um, stands after prominent ex-cricketers. So I think that'd be a great thing to do. Yeah, I agree. So I'm so glad he's got a um, statue. And uh, I was a bit annoyed that it took a pommy to point that out for us to build a statue. But someone pointed out on Twitter that um, Bord is so humble that he might have been approached in the past and declined it. So... We'll just, we'll just park that. I won't be too angry about this one. Alrighty, Paul. Well, I'm excited because I've got tomorrow off. So I'm going to be watching World Cup cricket all night. What are you up to? Yeah, looking forward to it as well. Western New Zealand, um, South Africa. I think that uh, we'll know a lot more about how our group is shaping up after this game because if Western News lose this, they'll certainly be on the edge of being out of the competition. Um, but if they surge back and belt South Africa, then maybe sort of the normal order of favoritism from pre-tournament will start to be restored. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it immensely. So am I. I'm going to watch some WBBL to warm up. Well, thanks for listening to Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks to Jaleesa Apps. We'll be back next week. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now, driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.